0: All right, be seated. we want to talk about this morning, continuing what we've been uh, talking about a little bit, just uh, taking some steps of what it means to get real with God. What is God wanting us to do in this new year? What is he asking us to do? How do we invest in people's lives? And today I want to, uh, last, you know, just I really want to spend some time. I think sometimes in our culture there's questions as to why we do what we do. You know, why do we do this? Why, you know, what's the big deal about this? What makes Jesus so special? Why is that such a big deal to all of us? What does it mean to be on mission with God, and what do we really believe? What do we really believe? And so I want us to uh, turn to Revelation chapter 4, 8 through 11, and then uh, Revelation 5, 1 through 9. I'm going to read those to us, and we're just going to kind of walk through that today about what does it mean? What does this really mean? How do we... What does it mean saying yes to God? And, and what does that look like, okay? Uh, Revelation chapter four, eight through 11, simply says, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was cut with eyes all around. Even under the wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, 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 is the word God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, Who lives forever and ever. The twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created, and they came into being. Verse Revelation five, one through nine. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. He came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the spirits of the saints. And they sang a new song. So here's the question we want to ask. How do we stay focused? In this time, how do we stay focused? What does it look like? I'm going to give you basically three points today today. How do we stay focused? How do we understand what it is that God really wants us to do? Why is the gospel so important? And in our culture, and I want you to listen to me carefully, in our culture that wants to tell us that there's many ways to heaven, how can, how can it be that we could actually say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? We're going to deal with some of that this morning. First and foremost, I want us to remember the promise of heaven. Remember the promise of heaven. You know I mean? Think about it. The promise of heaven. What does he say? When you look back up into uh, uh, Revelation four eight through eleven, it's amazing what he tells us there. He says to us, "What he says." Then I saw, then I saw a great white throne with him seated on it. And think about, think about what he's talking about. Think about what he's saying to us. The promise of heaven. Think, think about the promise of heaven. He said, each of the four living creatures had six wings covered with uh, eyes all around. And they were singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Think about whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sits on the throne, they would sing this. Why don't we sing this for a moment? Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Say it with me. Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. Come on, set one more time real loudly. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now what imagine being in heaven and seeing and hearing that. See, what had happened was God had called John into the throne room. And John, he was giving him the words and the pictures of what he wanted him to put in a Revelation, which would let us know how this all kind of wraps up. And so here he is laying down before the throne. And we're going to talk about each of the steps of what takes place with him. But he's laying down before the throne. And he hears this eruption. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The Bible says the elders all fell down before the throne. And, the, and you could just imagine it, just rocking, just, just literally shaking everything that is there as they sang and their voices all came together. The power of God was so much upon them. Heaven, I don't know about you, but the promise of heaven comforts me. Does it you? Does the promise of heaven comfort you? Yes or no? Yes, it comforts me. It does. In fact, it was interesting. When my father passed away, my dad was a pretty wise man, and my dad, he, about, about two months after he passed away, there was a lady that was in our church, and she came to see my mom. I knew that Christmas that my father wasn't going to live much longer. I knew there was no chance of that happening. His heart had been, he'd had so many surgeries, he just wasn't getting around well. I think he knew that was his last Christmas with us. So here's what he did. He, evidently that January, he was at a Christian bookstore, and he bought a a little card that talked about heaven. And he gave it to one of my mom's best friends. And he told her, he says, says, listen. He said, I'm not going to be around here very long, but a few months after I'm gone, when Nita, my mama, when Nita, when she's really hurting, why don't you go over and see her one day and give her this? And it basically said, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye, but one day I'll see you again in the Bible. That's kind of what happened. and just kind of, was, there was a lot more to it than that. And that's kind of what happened. My father, they were going to revival service that night, and my dad uh, was, was watching a football game, and he just turned the TV off, and my mom walked in and said, John, I'll be right back, and we'll head to church. And when my dad was sitting there eating some, some peanuts, he loved <laughs> peanuts of any shape, form or fashion. You know, bold peanuts. Ugh. Anyway, he loved them. But he was sitting there eating some peanuts. And he had a, what he always had was a Diet RC. Yeah. And he loved moon pies. Yes, he did, okay. He was a certified, you know, he, he, he filled out all the paperwork. He was born redneck, died redneck, okay. That was my dad. And so he's sitting there, and he's holding on to this. And when my mom walks in, she said that the Coke, the, the RC was on the ground spilling out. And my dad's hand had fallen, and all the peanuts were gone. My mom runs over to him, and she calls the police, you know, calls the ambulance, and they start running her through how to do, you know, CPR on him, and my dad's gone. And here, two months later, you know, he never got a chance to say bye to my mom. 49 years. They would have been married 50 years had he made it to the next December. 49 years. My father met my my mom when he was teaching school. He was he was 7 years older than my mom she was 18 and he was 25 okay and and he was filling in at school 24 25 at that time and he was he was kind of doing that and he met my mom and they started to date and then they got married and all that but cuz I don't know about you but heaven comforts me when I do funerals it comforts me to know that if that person knows Christ we will see them again i believe that don't you I have a little brother that I believe I will see again one day. I I believe I will. I have friends that have passed on that I believe I'll see again one day. Heaven comforts me. But how about this, guys? What about hell? What about hell? Think about it. What about hell? We don't talk much about hell in our culture, do we? We don't because it's negative. Most of our preaching today never even mentions hell. Most guys are scared to say anything about hell. They're afraid they'll scare people off. It's almost as if we've convinced ourselves that if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. But the reality of it, it it does. Scripture talks much about hell. It talks about the fact that we have a heaven, but if there's a heaven, there's also a hell. Guys, did you know this? Did you know that 65% of this generation do not believe Satan is a real entity? Did you know that? 65% of this generation don't believe Satan's a real entity. You know, I think part of that's because we never teach about hell. We never talk about hell. It's just a dirty word. We don't, we don't talk about it at all. But it's a reality. It doesn't matter. Listen to me. It doesn't matter whether you believe in it or not. That doesn't change the biblical reality that it is there. It is. And according to Scripture, look what Scripture says about this. You know, look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead and the great and small standing before the throne. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and, the, and death in Hades. Gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. And, he, and if, listen to what it says. This is I didn't make this up, guys. It says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Guys, hell's a reality. Why do we need to reach people in this community? Because we don't want them going to hell. Why do we need to be sharing the gospel with people? Because we don't want them to go to hell. Why do we need to know Christ? Because we don't want to be there. Guys, hell is not like an old western movie where the guy's getting shot and he says, I'll see you in hell. I promise you, it's not going to be a good place. They're not going to be partying down there. It's not a good place. I'm comforted by heaven, aren't you? I can't wait for that day when we get there and we hear the saints of glory singing, the angels singing those songs. But guys, it breaks my heart when I think of the fact that on the other side of that, there will be people who do not know Christ. You can say, well, that's not a loving God. Listen, he gave us perfection in the beginning. He gave us the opportunity, and we chose to rebel and disobey. Satan fell as an angel because he wanted to be like God. And that's where hell came from. By the way, though, let me say this to you. If if I'm I'm here long enough, I'll, I'll do a short series for you guys on spiritual warfare. Let me just say this to you. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that because Jesus resurrected from the grave and he left death in the grave, that Satan has no power over us as believers. Did you know that? Yes or no? Turn to your neighbor and say, "We're victorious." Come on, tell them we're victorious. Tell them, tell them this. Tell them this. Hey, tell them this. We've won the war. We have. We've won the war. I can promise you, Satan cannot do anything to us, guys. He cannot. He cannot. I had a student in my office this week said, "I felt the suppression. All of this." I said, "Then just claim the power of Jesus, because Satan cannot do anything to you. He cannot." We have won this. We have won this, guys. God has given us the opportunity to do that. How about this? How do we stay focused? Number two, remember the predicament of the human condition. What does it say in Revelation 5, 1 through 4? It says, then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls or look inside. Let me give you the picture here. John is laying down before the throne. He sees the Father sitting there. He hears the singing. But in the right hand of the Father, he sees the scroll. The scroll uses the word number seven several times because it is the number of perfection. And what it's talking about is it is the perfect revealing of God's plan. Someone has to receive the scroll and pull back the scroll and open it up in order to initiate and complete the plan of God for our salvation. If no one steps out and takes the scroll, guess what? We have no hope. The reason why John was weeping was because look at me, all of you. He was a human being. I know everything in our culture screams that we're just such good people all the time, that we deserve nothing, we've done anything wrong. But guys, all it takes is one sin to be a sinner. We are sinners. And Look, had one of us been laying there like John, we would have been weeping too because had John tried to get up and take the scroll, he had been obliterated because he had not won the victory to take the scroll. You know, his sins were paid for by the one who won the victory to take the scroll. He was weeping. And let me tell you something. If it ended, if Revelation ended in verse 4 and there was not a verse 5 and following, we would be weeping today because we would have no hope. Our hope does not rest in in ourselves. It does not rest in, in us being such good people. It does not rest in our church participation. It rests in the mercy and the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilt for us because he died for us. He paid the price for us. I can promise you there's no way John wept because he realized that no one was taking the scroll, and he was literally in his soul. Have you ever had that urgency in your soul where everything, it's almost like your insides want to come outside because he's about to explode, and all he could do is weep because he knows that his very mortality is on the line, just like ours, if Jesus didn't step out. Wow. Wow. The predicament of the human condition, we are completely lost without Him. I'm comforted by heaven. I'm challenged by my human condition. Every one of us are, because we cannot save ourselves. But how do we stay focused? Number three, remember the provision of a holy God. Remember the provision of a holy God. Look what it says in Revelation 5 5 through 7. Look what it says. It says, then one of the elders said to me. This He's speaking to John. John's laying there on his face and he's weeping, guys. He cannot move. He's literally paralyzed by his fear that no one would take the scroll. And then he says, and then one of the elders says, John, listen to me. Look at me, guys. Do not weep. Tell your neighbor, do not weep. Do not weep. Guys, we do not have to weep. You know why? Because we have a verse 5. We have hope. We do. Do not weep. Listen to what it says. It says, because see, David Wheeler and Zach Hunn stepped out and took the scroll. Yes or no? No. No. Now, Zach might have been able to do that with a mustache, but he, can you cut that off? He was like Samson. He lost all of his power. I'm just joking. The reality of it is, it doesn't say us. It doesn't say, and then John, because he had, he had taken a class in Oprahology, that he was able to step out, because he was a new age guy and came in contact with his inner self, because he, he was strong enough to do all of that, because he had, you know, no, it doesn't say that. It says, do not weep, and then it tells us why. Look what it says. Do not weep because what? Who? The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved according to Acts. Has what? He has triumphed. Triumphed. He's won the victory. He's obliterated it. He's done it. He's paid the price. He has done it all. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. The Lamb of God who paid the price for us, just like in the Old Testament, when they took the blood and they put it over the door, and the death angel passed by. The death angel passes by us. We will all die once, but we do not have to die twice. Why? Because of the blood of the Lamb that paid the price for our sin. He took our place. He was our substitutionary atonement. He atoned for every one of our sins. He did it for us. He did it because that's who he is. Looking as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures. Can you imagine what John was feeling at that moment? All of a sudden, all of heaven erupts, and coming out of the throne is Jesus. I mean, here he is, waiting. Waiting. For someone to take the scroll and Christ comes out of the throne. He's encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. In other words, the ultimate picture of perfection because seven is a perfect number. And he came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I want you to get that picture. Christ came. He steps out, looking as if he had been slain. You could see where he had paid the price. He was everything you could put together. He was the fulfillment of all the promise of God because God sent himself and the person of Christ to pay the price for our sin. And then John's looking up. Can you imagine? He's rising up as all of heaven when Jesus steps out of the throne, and the Bible says, and he took it. Now, I want you to listen to me, every one of you here. I want you to understand this, what I'm saying, okay? The Bible says, when it says that he took the scroll. Now, that phrase there is used only once in that particular way in all of Scripture. Now, I, I'm not a Greek scholar, but the best way I can explain it, it's, it's, it's a... It's a certain kind of perfect verb. I'm going to call it a perfect perfect. There's no such thing in Greek of a perfect perfect. But I'm going to call it that simply because here's what it means. Here's Jesus. Here he is. Come here. Come here, Zach. Come here for a minute. Okay? Here's God sitting on this throne. Okay? Get on the right hand over here. Okay? He's got the scroll in his right hand. Here's what it means. Okay? He's got the, here's, here's Jesus right here. Okay? You shouldn't have cut off the beard. Anyway, he, 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 here he is. Here's what happens. Here's what the word literally means. It literally means in that moment that out of the out of the throne came Christ, the one who paid. And immediately the Father reaches over and he hands the scroll to the one who paid the price. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, number one, what do I mean by a perfect perfect? It means this. It means It was a perfect act, you know, only done once, has ramifications forever and ever, and never can be done or undone. But it also refers to the one who did it. In other words, the moment that scroll was handed to Christ, the fulfillment of our sin, the payment was stamped. Debbie and I closed on our house Friday. When we sign that final piece of paper and they say, Now you own a house at 2388 Colby Drive. At that point in time, I owned everything about that house. I, ha- I own it all, okay? And that's exactly what it's saying. At that moment in time, when that happened, guys, when all of that came together, the perfect act of him doing it once, go ahead. The perfect act of him doing it once. That's what a perfect means. It means done once. Anytime scripture talks about salvation, that's the reason why we cannot lose our salvation. Because it's it's always spoken of in a perfect tense. Which means it's an act that we do once. We are born again once. We, it cannot be done and cannot be undone. And it never needs to be done again. That's why the Bible says we're sealed up to the day of redemption. So here's what that literally means. I want you to get this whole picture. It literally means it is the father. Follow- reaches out and gives that to Jesus. And Jesus takes it. It's not only the perfect act that never will be done again. That was the fulfillment of the payment of our sin that started back in Genesis when we sinned. Jesus fulfilled it right there. And when he took that scroll, immediately, if you look at the chapters after, they begin to unroll the scroll. It unrolls everything of time, which is our salvation that he bought for us. So what does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ, you can stand upon it because the scripture teaches that. Is the only one ordained from the beginning of time who could pay the price for our sin. Not Muhammad, nobody else. Only Jesus Christ could pay the price for our sin. The Bible teaches an exclusive Savior. He doesn't teach more more than one or many Saviors. There's only one, and His name is Jesus Christ. You can stand upon that. You can say... You can say, Well, I don't believe that. That doesn't change the reality of the truth of Scripture. If you are a Christian, that is what we believe. That is, not, that is not some kind of prejudice thing. That is not an exclusive thing of other people. Jesus is always reaching out and saying, Come unto me, all you weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In His grace and His mercy, He is giving us every moment of every day an opportunity to come to know Him personally. But, guys, make no mistake. The scripture does not even leave the door open, even a crack in the door, that there's any other way to heaven except through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. I know that's not popular in our day. I know that there's many preachers who won't preach that. And guys, I am so tired of hearing this psychobabble stuff that comes out of most of our pulpits across the country that never goes back to scripture and never talks about Jesus. I'm tired of hearing these preachers talk about God all day long and never, never make the connection that Jesus Christ is the one who paid the price for our sin. For he is God in flesh. He is the one who came and did that for us. Understand that. He paid the price for us. He did. He did. I know that offends the world. But you know what, guys? It's evidently offended people since the beginning of time because they try, by the time we get to the year 100, every single one of the disciples were dead, hideous deaths because they were proclaiming the exclusivity of the blood of Jesus Christ that he paid for our sin, and they died and were persecuted because of it. Let me tell you something. The purpose of this church is not to simply give a hiding place for people to come and sit and do nothing. The purpose of this church is to energize us through the power of the blood of Christ and his Holy Spirit that lives in us that we would take the exclusive message of the gospel into this community that people would not die and go to hell that they would know Jesus Christ is their personal savior. That's what we are about. And any time we allow anything to distract us from the real purpose of why we come together, to energize us, to encourage us, in order to send us out, We cannot do that. Satan will use everything possible to to distract us from doing the things that we're supposed to be about doing. Guys, never lose that. When your pastor comes, your new pastor comes, and he will come someday, someday soon, hopefully, when he does, you keep him accountable to that very thing, that the gospel is the center of everything we do. It's not just about Christians acting right, it's about Christians being right. If we are right, we will act right. We don't need more moral lessons. We need to connect ourselves with the, with the moral God who will make us what he wants us to be and let him be the one who molds us and makes us into his image. That's what this is all about. That's what we're called to do, guys. It's not about comfort. It's not about ease. It's about commitment. Did you know this? Come on, look at this. Did you know this? You, and by the way, these statistics that I'm giving you, they were, together, they were put together by Josh McDowell, who did a study of several thousand Christian teenagers. And in his study of several thousand Christian teenagers, this is what he came out with. The one I gave you earlier, 65% do not believe that, that hell is a real entity or Satan's a real entity himself. Look at this. Did you know 63% of this generation don't believe that Jesus is the only son of the only true God? Do you know that? 58% believe all faiths teach equally valid truths. These are Christian kids sitting in our youth programs. That's why, Zach, we have to teach them. We have to do this. It's not just about us playing games. It is about us solidly preparing our students for what they're going to face in the days to come. Did you know this? The 51% don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, and 68% don't believe the Holy Spirit's a real entity. How in the world can we have a relationship with Christ without the power of God? No wonder we have such a defeated generation for the last 50, 60 years because we're trying to do it on our own without the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Guys, Satan has deceived us. He has robbed us. And we as Christians have bought all this stuff. We have. We need to get back to the gospel of Christ in Jesus Christ, that's who He is. That's who He is. What does Scripture say? I love what it. I love what He says here. Here's what He says. This is John three sixteen through twenty one. It says, "For God so loved the world that the, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life." For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light, that is Jesus, has come into the world. But men loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that he may be seen plainly. That what he has done and has been done through God our Father. So what is the bottom line? Here it is. Bottom line, is Jesus the only way to salvation or is he just one of many ways? How about this? Is hell a real place or is it just a myth taught by overzealous religious people trying to manipulate people? It's a real place. Is sin a real concept or is it merely seeing life in a negative manner? Guys, I've literally heard preachers on TV take that statement over the last 25 years. I can take you back to the points when they did because I've studied this, I'm telling you. Where they would say, we won't talk about sin because sin is simply negative energy. And it creates, it makes people feel bad about it. Of course it does because sin creates death. Sin ends up in death. When you refuse, listen, when those false teachers refuse to talk about sin, they're actually leading people astray. We do not need to buy into that. Sin is a very real entity. Coming to salvation is not simply connecting deeper with your own self and finding out who you are. Guys, who I am is deeply evil because I was born into sin. I can only be reborn by the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to face that. This is an exclusive message by an inclusive God who desperately wants people to know him personally. This is who we're supposed to be. Does the Bible matter? Is it truth, or is it no different from other religious books? I could give you some apologetic stuff on that if you want to. But basically, just make it short, you would have to get rid of every other work, book of antiquity if you don't believe the Bible is accurate, at least in what we have. I was sitting on the plane the other day when a guy told me, he says, The Bible... He says, the Bible has been changed all these times and, and by men and done all this kind of stuff. I said, really? Show me where you can find that. He said, I just believe that's, that's the way it was. I said, so that makes it real because you say that, right? And he says, well, yeah. I said, well, do you know anything about the Dead Sea Scrolls? He said, no. I said, do you realize up until we have the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1940s that the latest, the, the, the earliest we had of, of, of manuscripts was about 900 A.D.? Did you know the Dead Sea Scrolls took it about 1,100 years back? that that is before christ and do you realize that they, they they compared the scripture we had and we had almost a full manuscript of the book of isaiah and they compared what we had and what we were reading in our own bibles and it was 98 99 percent exactly accurate to what we had the only differences were jots and tittles that, that, that by certain scribes that may have worn off in all of those years but in other words you can stand firm on the fact that our word that we have has not been changed it is accurate historically and otherwise it is is that if it's not we have almost 25,000 parchments now if it's not the works of Sophocles has nine parchments that go back within 600 years nowhere close to what scripture has and nobody doubts the works of Sophocles but everybody wants to doubt the work of the Bible let me tell you you may not believe it is divine but you cannot argue with the accuracy of what it is I believe it is divine we need to understand that guys we need to know What scripture teaches. What do you honestly believe? This is the whole point of what I wanted to come to by kicking off this new year. There's a reason why we need to influence others. Because we need to pour into their lives. We need to teach them truth. Listen, more than any time in my life, we need people who are purveyors of truth. We need to hold on to it. And I promise you, people will not like you if you do it. They will eat you up. I've had it on many occasions. And with the internet, it even gets worse. But I'm telling you right now, if this church is going to be what God wants it to be in the future, we build our foundation upon the rock, not the sand. And we stand upon the truth of God. And we don't put the responsibility of of sharing the gospel on anybody else other than ourselves. And every one of us, if we believe and have been redeemed by that gospel, We must tell others about that gospel because that gospel is Christ himself. He paid the price for our sin. He took the book. No one else could. He took the book. Make no mistake, guys. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man come to the Father except through me. No man. Exclusive language. Just because some theologian says, well, I just don't believe that. That doesn't make it real. Just because someone puts on their Twitter account and sends it out. Our, th- our problem is our theology is built on 150 characters by people who have probably never read the Bible in the first place. I've got students who elevate themselves. I think sometimes the smartest human beings on the face of the earth, at least they believe they are, are 18-year-olds because obviously they figured everything out right then, right? I'm not being mean to 18-year-olds. I love teaching 18-year-olds, but I'm telling you right now, guys, you wait and face the realities of life and you're broken in the middle of all that, you will understand fully the need for a God who gives you hope. I have spent too much of my time in ministry with people who've lost their children, lost their family members, have faced all kinds of tragedies, and in the midst of that, If you're trying to trust yourself, you'll be lost in that. What you want is a God who reaches out over time, who paid the price for you, who says, come to me. I will comfort you. You say, well, why is there evil in the world? We didn't create the evil. Sin created that evil. What did I tell you at the very beginning? Our hope is found in Christ, and what comforts me most is that no matter how much this body rots and hurts, One day I will have a new body when I get to heaven. And we there will spend eternity in his presence. But until we get there, as John Piper puts it, it is a necessity that we are on mission with Christ telling people about the message and the love and the salvation of our Savior. For he is true. There's none of us here too old, none of us here too young, none of us here too weak that God cannot be strong enough in us that we cannot be used by him. It's time, guys. It's time we stop hiding in our opinions and that we start expounding upon our beliefs and put them into action that people may know there's hope that Jesus is alive. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me right now. Daniel, if you guys will come on down and get ready. This morning, maybe you're sitting there, Friday night I had the opportunity of speaking at an event over in, in uh, Danville to a bunch of youth, and I just simply talked about the fact that there's three kinds of people, and I may share that message here some other time, but the bottom line was, is we had several of those young people that came to Christ, and what I challenged them to do was not to fall in the second category, the terminally religious. Those who who plant their faith based upon generations of being in church, but they don't know about their personal relationship with Christ. You know what? The only hope for our nation is Christ. The only hope for our children is Christ. The only hope for our marriages is Christ. The only hope for our families is Christ. The only hope for our world is Christ. Rest in that. Rest in that. He took the book. How about it? How about about it's time that we stop playing games? How about it's time that we as a church say, I'm done holding back. If this is true, then I need to tell the world before people die without him. Every one of us here know people that need Christ. Who's gonna tell them? You don't need to call your pastor and tell them to go tell them. You need to go tell them. Well, I don't know how. Just tell them what Christ has done for you. Just tell them about how he's changed your life. Revelation chapter 12 says, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Our testimony expresses in words what our heart is. Tell people what Christ has done for you, tell him. This morning, if you've never received Christ your personal Savior, I'd love to tell you how you can do that, but I'm going to ask you to step out and come. I know some of you are going to sit there and go, I'll never do that, I'll never do that. Come see me after service, I'd love to sit down and talk with you about that. Don't leave today without knowing, without a doubt, that you know Christ is your personal Savior. Others of us, it's time that we get serious about our faith. We've let the edge go off of our faith. We've gotten older and more comfortable and complacent. We've allowed our hearts to become calloused. We've heard a lot of sermons. Come on, let's be honest. Are we really impacted? Guys, when God takes me back in this passage and I see John weeping, I'm reminded of how lost I really am without Christ. So, I'm going to invite you to come this morning as a church. Just come and kneel at this altar this morning and say, you know what? It's time that I got really serious about this. It's time that I say, man, I, I want to be in the business of impacting other people. I want to put my faith into action. I want to let the truth live through me. I want to be on the front lines of what God's going to do. You can be. Because that's where he's called us to be. It's time we stop holding back, guys. And we say, yes, Lord. I'm yours. Because the price has already been paid. We already know how this ends. We have even greater motivation to go. Don't we? Then you come this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray. If there's anyone here this morning that don't know you, I pray they will come. I pray they'll step out just like those who are baptized today will be willing to step forward and say, I want to make my life count for you. For all of us, Father, who, who, Lord, we are Christians and we know we are, but maybe we're calloused. Maybe we're not heartbroken over the things and sin that's going on around us. Maybe we've just made a habit of hiding. We're just playing games and we're holding back or maybe we're trying to fix ourselves and none of that can happen Lord unless we fully first surrender to you so I pray today God that we will come we will kneel and we will say from this day forward I want to be a part of your army God use me God let it start today in this church out to this community that the gospel will be proclaimed through all of us by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, that lives will be changed. Move in us now, Father. I pray your word will dig deep and cut, and you'll draw us to yourself in Jesus' name.